Well, hello and welcome to the Good Old Days of Radio Show. This is John Tefteller, your host. I'm going to do something a little bit different today. We are going to play some radio shows. We're actually going to play two radio shows. This is our Thursday slot in which we're supposed to be doing horror shows. And not to disappoint you, one of the two shows will be a horror show. Uh, So we won't veer too much off of format. But something happened a few days ago that I want to talk to everyone about. A longtime friend of mine and a huge friend to the hobby of old-time radio and collecting old-time radio shows passed away last Saturday. Um, If you are just a casual listener of radio shows, don't know much about the background, about how these things come to be in this day and age when they were originally broadcast about 50 years or so, 60 years or so ago, if you don't know about all of that, you're going to learn in the next few minutes Uh, If you do know about it, then the name Ken Greenwald should be very familiar to you because even though he certainly is not a household name in any way, he did make some great contributions to the entertainment industry and also to old-time radio specifically. Um, Ken Greenwald was a radio show collector, a radio show aficionado, Uh, He was an actor, a comedian, a filmmaker, all kinds of things. I'll try to concentrate mostly on his radio stuff for this audience. But just the first thing I guess I would say is if you enjoy listening to old time radio shows, and you probably wouldn't be listening to my voice at this moment if you didn't, what you need to realize is about half or more of the programs that you have been able to enjoy on this program, as well as anywhere else that you find old-time radio shows, about half of those originated from Ken Greenwald. He made the best transfers of radio shows ever from the original transcriptions. He was a longtime friend of mine. I first met him in 1975, and Uh, We worked together on a lot of projects a lot of times. We would swap discs, trade discs, record discs, do all kinds of things with discs. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about when I say discs, these original recordings are not from tape. Uh, They're they're from original 16-inch records, sometimes made of glass, sometimes made of aluminum with a lacquer coating over the top. Sometimes they come from master tapes. In the 1950s, uh, reel-to-reel tape became the thing, and so some of the shows from the 50s were mastered onto reel-to-reel tape. But most anything prior to 1950, the only way you could get it is a radio transcription, a 16-inch record, which would play at 33 and a third and run 15 minutes on a side. They did have smaller versions for home use. They had 12-inch 78 RPM radio transcriptions that were given to a lot of the actors, and that would take three 12-inch 78 RPMs to make one half-hour show. So you had to get up and change the record every five minutes in order to do it that way. But if you had a 16-inch transcription and it was a half-hour show, it only took two, part one on one, part two on the next one. So... Over the years, most of the transcriptions of radio shows that were made were destroyed. Uh, What what we have left is about 
10% uh, or so of everything that was ever broadcast. Now, we have a lot, and we have a lot of great stuff, but we have a lot of things that are missing, that are still perhaps out there somewhere, but we don't know where they are. A lot of things have been damaged. A lot of things have been thrown away. So overall, we have about 10% left. And yes, we have some good ones. And of the 10% left, a big, huge majority of it came from a place called Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters. Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters was an organization in the Hollywood area, which was comprised of people who used to be in radio. In order to be a member of Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters, and it was basically a social club, you had to put in 25 years in broadcasting. If you didn't have 25 years in broadcasting, you couldn't be a member. It started back in 1966, and there were hundreds of members back in 1966. Uh, you had people like Edgar Bergen, Jim Jordan, who played Fibber McGee, Jack Benny, George Burns, uh, Ronald Reagan, all of the radio actors, and then a lot of the producers, sound effects men, uh, just voiceover talents. They all, if they lived in Southern California, they all belonged to Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters. Now, Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters had an archive. It was located in the basement of what used to be NBC Studios at the corner of Sunset and Vine in Hollywood. Now, if you drove by the corner of Sunset and Vine in Hollywood in 1966 up until about 1992, what you would see is a home savings bank. Didn't look like a radio archive at all. But if you walked into that bank, went to the back of the room, went to the elevator and went downstairs, uh, you would find the Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters archives. They had a club room in there where they had meetings and they had a gigantic archive containing about 275,000 16-inch radio transcriptions. More radio transcriptions in that building underneath Sunset and Vine than anywhere else in the country. I think the Library of Congress has... 175,000, this was 275,000. They are no longer there. They've been moved and dispersed. But when they were there, boy, what a, what a place to go. You could walk down the aisles and you could see rows and rows of Jack Benny shows, Amos and Andy shows, suspense, uh, lots and lots of stuff. And show after show after show. Now, those shows were not supposed to be recorded and disseminated to the world. They were not. They were under copyright protection. They actually still are, in some ways, under copyright protection. Uh, but they were under copyright protection, and Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters was simply a holding place or archive on behalf of the radio networks and the performers and people that donated the transcription discs there. However... <laughs> there was a leak, and that leak came in the form of Mr. Marty Halpern, who was in charge of that archives. And Marty has since passed away, uh, but Marty was very famous for going into the archives, taking home radio transcriptions from the archives, making reel-to-reel -reel copies of those transcriptions, and then dispersing them, in exchange for some funds, to some eager collectors. And that is how many, many, many of the shows that you have enjoyed on my program and any other place you can listen to them, that's how many, many of them got out into circulation, so to speak. 
Um, now, back to Ken Greenwald. Ken Greenwald was assistant archivist at Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters, along with Ron Wolf, another old friend of mine who is still with us. And between Ken and Ron and myself, other recordings of things were made there, but we followed the rules and we didn't, we didn't let them out into the public. Um, now it's 30, 40 years later, it all kind of doesn't matter. So we're doing whatever we're doing now, uh, and you're getting to hear some things. But back then, it wasn't supposed to be done, but it was. All right, so back to, back to Ken. Ken was famous throughout the old-time radio community of being the one guy that could make the world's best transfers of old-time radio shows from the original transcriptions. He had developed a special method of cleaning the transcriptions. He had a special method of playback when he made the, when he made the tape recordings from them. And his stuff in general just sounds light years ahead of what most people were able to get off of a transcription. Um, Ken, as I say, was a, a collector, but he was also a actor, a filmmaker, a comedian. He worked alongside Robin Williams doing stand-up comedy in Los Angeles. He appeared on the Steve Allen show. He did uh, the Carol Burnett show, the That Girl show. Um, when Ken was nominated for his Academy Award in 1972, he got to go to the 1972 Academy Awards. Well, if you know who was honored at the 1972 Academy Awards, uh, with a special honorary Oscar, you'll know why this was important. It was Charlie Chaplin. And Chaplin came over to the United States in 1972 for the first time since being banned in 1950 and made a special appearance at the Oscars in 1972. Uh, Chaplin was Ken's hero, one of, one of his heroes, and Ken wanted to make sure that since he was attending the Oscars, that he got to meet Charlie Chaplin. And he did. And he went up to Mr. Chaplin and he told him that uh, he really enjoyed all of his films and wanted to thank him for all his contributions to comedy. And Chaplin shook his hand and said thank you. And that was one of the highlights of his, his world. The other highlight of his world came earlier um, in 1963, he picked up the Santa Monica phone book, and in the Santa Monica phone book was the name Stan Laurel with a phone number. You could actually call Stan Laurel on the phone and talk to him in 1963. Now, he died in 1964 or 65, so this was near the end of his life. But Ken called Stan Laurel on the phone, told him that he was a stand-up comedian and that he had done comedy on television and that he wanted to uh, uh, know if he could come and visit Stan Laurel, and Stan said, sure, come on over. And he said, well, can I bring you some films of some of my act? I'd like you to critique it. So uh, he did. He brought over some films of some of his performances. He ran them on a projector. He brought a projector, ran them in Stan Laurel's living room, and Stan watched them. When he was done, he said, well, you're very funny, but you're lacking one thing. And Ken said, what is that? And he said, well, you don't have a costume. You got to have a costume. You got to have something so that when people look at you, you're identified with a certain thing. Like we had the the bowler um, bowler hats, and Ollie had his tie to twiddle. You need something like that. And that was really interesting advice coming from a comedy legend. And Ken was very happy to to take that and to spend the day with his other hero, uh, Stan Laurel. On today's show, we're going to bring you two programs that were very important in Ken Greenwald's life. 
the first of which is going to be an episode of Jack Benny from 1949. And I'm playing this because Jack Benny was another one of his heroes. And this particular episode would have been recorded from the original CBS Masters stored at Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters and recorded by Ken Greenwald. So we're going to listen to Jack Benny. And when that's done, we're going to switch over to horror. And I have a special broadcast to talk about with that and a special way it relates to Ken Greenwald. So in any case, this is, a, this is our good old days of radio show tribute to Ken Greenwald, my old friend who passed away at the age of 86 last Saturday, May 14th, 2022. The comedy show for today, before we get to the horror show for the day, is going to be the Jack Benny show from December 7th, 1947. And the special thing about this particular program is an appearance by Mel Blanc in his role of Professor LeBlanc, giving Jack a violin lesson. This was Ken Greenwald's personal favorite of all the Jack Benny skits that were done over the years. And also, apparently on this program, Jack visits his vault. So you get to hear two big things in the spectrum of Jack Benny things. Uh, A visit to the vault and a Violin Lesson from Professor LeBlanc. So from December 7th, 1947, here is Ken Greenwald's original transfer of The Jack Benny Program. The Jack Benny Program, presented by Lucky Strike. Quality of product is essential to continuing success. Exhibit A, Lucky Strike. Fine tobacco is what counts in a cigarette. And day in, day out. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Lucky Strike presents The Man Who Knows. Mr. Lucian Purdom, ace tobacco auctioneer of Springfield, Kentucky, said not long ago, At every auction I've attended, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy fine quality tobacco. That fine, ripe smoking leaf that smokes makes a smooth, mild smoke. Smoke Lucky's myself for 22 years. At market after market, independent tobacco experts like Mr. Purdom can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Remember, LSMFT, LSMFT. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And fine tobacco means real, deep-down smoking enjoyment for you. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. Yes, next time you buy cigarettes, ask for Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. The Lucky Strike program, starring Jack Benny with Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go out to Jack Benny's house in Beverly Hills. It's morning, and Rochester is preparing the bath for his boss. There, that's enough water. When Mr. Benny takes a bath, he wants everything just right. I better check. Bath mat, bath towel, bath salt, soap, rubber duck, (laughs) celluloid boat, and uh, life preserver. (laughs) Better tie the life preserver to the faucet. Last time the plug came out, Mr. Bentley had to fight his way upstream like a salmon. <laughs> Trouble that man goes through to take a bath. I'm glad he don't do it often. Uh, he showers most of the time. Well, I guess that's... Good morning, Rochester. Oh, good morning, boss. Your bath is ready. 
Well, I'm in a hurry this morning, so I'll just take a shower. But, boss, the tub is all ready. I don't care. I'm going to take a shower. The bath mat, the towels. I'm going to take a shower. The bath sauce, the soap. I'm going to take a shower. The rubber duck, the celluloid boat, the life preserver. Well. You going to take a bath? No, give me the rubber duck. I'll hold it in the shower. <laughs> And Rochester, next time, don't blow the duck up so high. The way its eyes pop out, it looks like Eddie Cantor. I'll fix that. No, you better put the air back in. Now it's so wrinkled, it looks like Fred Allen. <laughs> Never mind, I'll blow it up myself. You better hurry with your shower. Professor LeBlanc, your violin teacher's waiting in the library. Oh, yes, I have to take my violin lesson today. Well, Rochester, you go downstairs and get the house cleaned up. Okay. Get the house cleaned up. Every day the same thing. Dusting, washing, cleaning, scrubbing. If I could have guessed who Miss Hush was, I'd have... No, I'd only had more things to dust. <laughs> and I was so sure it was Lena Horn. <laughs> well, I better go in the kitchen and... Oh, my goodness, what's that? Mr. Benny! Mr. Benny! Mr. Benny! Mr. Benny, what happened? I broke my rubber duck. <laughs> see? Shall I take it down and have it vulcanized? No, let's wait and see what Christmas brings. <laughs> now, Rochester, tell Professor LeBlanc I'll be right down. Please, tune up the violin. I will make the A on the piano. No, 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 you are flat. Pull the string up a little tighter. Okay. Tighter. Tighter. Ah. Oh, darn it, the string broke. Good, that's one down and three to go. <laughs> Well, you better put a new string on, Professor, while I open the window. It's kind of hot in here. There. Hey, Stevie, kick it to me, and then I'll... Look, there's Mr. Benny in the window. Hello, Mr. Benny. Oh, hello, Joey. Hello, Stevie. Hello, Mr. Benny. Say, Mr. Benny, some of us kids are going to play football. Can you come out and play with us? Oh, gee, I can't, Joey. I got to take my violin lesson. <laughs> I'll, uh, maybe a little later. Okay, we'll wait for you. Mr. Benny, you better close the window. It will be quieter. Okay. Here's your violin. We will start with the piece I gave you last time. Uh, uh, what was it again? The, uh, the glowworm. Uh, oui, monsieur, the glowworm. Uh, it is very pretty. Uh, commence. Okay. Mr. Benny. Mr. Benny, it is such a small worm. Do not kill it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'll take it again. Mr. Benny, huh? 
What are the blink blinks? Uh, I'm stepping over the worm. Mr. <laughs> Benny, leave the jokes to the comedians. Uh, yes, sir. Perhaps we better limber up a little more with the exercises. Uh, as you wish. Play it softer with emotion Dip your bow in Jurgen's lotion <laughs> Nero played while Rome was burning Right now for a match I'm yearning <laughs> Now, Mr. Benny, uh, you are sounding worse than ever But, Professor, I've been practicing two hours every day How can you stand it? <laughs> What? Now, look, that is enough of the exercises. Let us go back to the lesson. This time, get the tempo right, we will use the metronome. Okay. Tick-tock, tick-tock. <laughs> Mr. Benny, what is that? Eastern Columbia, Broadway at night. <laughs> What is that? Uh, Follies Burlesque, Main Street at 6. <laughs> oh, oui, oui. The third girl from the end with the red hair. Ooh la la. Professor. <laughs> Professor LeBlanc. Excuse me. I, I hope you will not say anything to my wife. Your wife? Why? She is the third girl from the other end. <laughs> oh, she's the one with the... Oh, your wife! <laughs> Well, anyway, Professor, let's get on with the lesson. I want to go out and play football. Oui, oui. Commence. Mr. Benny, Mr. Benny, Mr. Benny, Mr. Benny, please, the lesson she is over. Will you please pay me my money now and don't keep me waiting like always? Oh, yes, yes, Professor. I'll go down my vault and get it. Oh, excuse me, there's the door. The money for the lesson, please. I I'll be right back. Hello, Mr. Benny. Oh, hello, Dennis. Come on in. 
Say, Dennis, didn't I see you at the Notre Dame USC football game yesterday? Yeah, I was there. Well, I had an awful time getting my tickets. How'd you get yours? From my cousin. He plays for Notre Dame. Notre Dame? Oh, of course, certainly. You're Irish. Uh, what's your cousin's name? Kazakowski. <laughs> Kazakowski? His real name is McNulty. What? He changed it to get on the team. Well, anyway, there was a lot of excitement, and I thought Notre Dame played great. So did UCLA. <laughs> Dennis, UCLA didn't play yesterday. USC sent for them in the third quarter. <laughs> Dennis, what are you talking about? Mr. Benny, please. I am waiting for my money. Oh, yes, yes, Professor. I'll go in my vault and get it. Well, I'll run along, Mr. Benny. I've got to go to the recording studio and make a record. A record? You know, Dennis, I made a whole album of records... A lot of comedy with my cast and a couple of violin solos. You did? Yeah. You know, you can get them in any music store. Is there anything else you want to advertise before I leave? <laughs> no, 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 that's all. Well, I got to run along. Goodbye, Mr. Benny. So long, Dennis. Oh, by the way, kid, is your mother uh, going to have a Christmas tree? Yeah, but this year she's going to buy it from somebody else. <laughs> Well, if she changes her mind, I'll be at Sunset in Fairfax. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Gee, I better start a week earlier this Christmas. I had to burn ten of them last year. <laughs> Mr. Benny, you haven't paid me for your lesson. Oh, yes, yes, Professor. How thoughtless of me. I'll go into my vault and get your money. Gee, I wonder who keeps it further underground, me or Fort Knox? <laughs> I must ask him someday when I'm there to collect the rent. Password. Uh, the British are coming. Oh, it's you, Mr. Benny. Yes, yes. We've had that password a long time now, haven't we, Ed? Yes, ever since that night you hung the lantern in the old North Church. <laughs> oh, yes. By the way, Mr. Benny, did that fellow on horseback ever make it? <laughs> Why? I had two dollars on him. Well, uh, excuse me a minute, Ed. I'm, I'm going to open the vault. How much money are you putting in? Oh, nothing. You know, I'm taking some out. Oh, sickness in the family? <laughs> no, no, everything's all right. Well, I'm going to open the vault now. Shall I take a sleeping pill? No, no. No, no, Ed, you can watch. It's all right. See, the combination is right to 45, left to 60... Back to 15 and left to 110. There. <laughs> 
half safe. <laughs> now, let's see. <clears throat> One, um, one violin lesson, a dollar and fifty cents. There it is. Well, see you later, Ed. All right. Oh, by the way, Mr. Benny, I meant to ask you, how are things on the outside? Oh, it's, it's December. Winter is nearly here. And the leaves are falling. Say, that must be exciting. No, no. No, Ed, people are wearing clothes now. <laughs> Uh-huh. Well, goodbye, Mr. Benny. Goodbye, Ed. Well, now here you are, Professor, a dollar and a half. Here's your dollar, and here's a... Oh, darn it, it was so dark down there, I got the wrong coin. Professor, have you got change for a Spanish doubloon? <laughs> no, 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 please, Mr. Benny, go back to the vault and give me the other 50 cents. Okay, okay, I'll do it right now. Mr. Benny. Excuse me, man, I want to answer the phone. Sacre bleu. Hello? This is the Palm Springs operator, Miss Livingston, calling Jack Benny. Oh, good, this is Jack Benny. Hello, Mary? In just a minute, I'll have to ring her back. All right, I'll wait. Gee, I'm sure glad that Mary's calling. Oh, darn it, there's someone at the door. Come in! Oh, hello, Don, I'll be with you in a minute. Jack, I've got the quartet here, and we're in an awful hurry. Well, Don, you'll have to wait until Will I get a phone line, call. Mr. Benny? Yes, yes, I'm waiting. Mr. Benny, my 50 cents. Uh, just a minute, Professor. Jack, as long as you're holding the line, I want you to hear the number the sportsman would prepare. Don. It'll fit beautifully if you ever do a Western play. Well, wait till I'm through on the phone. Mary is calling me. It'll only Don. take a minute. I'm ringing Miss Livingston. Good, good. I knew you'd want to hear it. Don, I wasn't talking to you. Anyway, if you want me to hear the quartet, make it fast. Mary will be on the phone any minute. Okay, now. hit it, boys. <laughs> He always sings Raggy music to the cattle as he swings Back and forward in the saddle on the horse A pretty good horse that is syncopated And is such a fun he made it to the roar of his repeated See him smile He's been spoken lucky spike for quite a while That's the one he likes He will never roll his own again For what is the use when he can send for good old luckies Good old luckies Hello? Good old oh, Mary? Mary, I can't hear you. What? Boys, I'm trying to talk. Shut up, will you? Mr. Benny, my 50 cents, please. I'll give it to you later. Hello? Hello, Mary? Boy! Mary? Boy! She must have hung up. Well, I'll call her later. Now, look, Don, did you have to Mr. go Mr. Benny, what? they went out. Oh, gee, and I wanted to tell them something. My 50 cents, please. In a minute, Professor. Oh, Don! Don! Well, I guess they've gone. Gee, they got away so fast. Say, Mr. Benny, we're still waiting for you to play football with us. Yeah, come on out. Well, I can't yet. I got... Okay, I'll tell you. I'll do what I have to do later. Come on, Stevie. But we better choose up sides first. Well, how can we? There are five of us. Yeah, and that won't come out even. 
Let's see. Two and a five. Yeah, it won't come out even. Well, look at it. Since I'm the biggest, I'll take Joey on my side, and we'll play the three of you. Now, come on. Let's do it. Hey, Jackson. Hey, Jackson. Huh? Oh, hello, hey. Phil. Come on out here a minute. Okay. Here, fellas. Here's the ball. I'll be right back. Say, Phil, that's the most gorgeous new car I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I just picked it up and I wanted to show it to you. I'm giving it to Alice for a birthday present. Oh, when is Alice's birthday? January the 3rd. January? You're a month early. No, I'm a year late. <laughs> well, with a present like that, I'm sure Alice will forgive you. It certainly is the nicest looking car I've ever seen. Yeah, and come here, Jackson. Come over here just a second. Look. Hey, read this. Let's see. To Alice Faye from her handsome, ever-loving, curly-headed joy boy, Phil Harris. Ain't that beautiful? Yes, but you should have written it on a birthday card, not painted it on the door. That's terrible. What's wrong with writing it on the door? Well, Phil, everybody sees it there. So what? I ain't ashamed of Alice. Phil, is this a 47 model or a 48? I don't know, but it's the latest style. Look at them fender skirts. They're two inches longer. <laughs> yeah, General Motors sure gave it that new look, huh? Boy, I can't wait to see the expression on Alice's face when I give her this car for a present. Oh, is it a surprise? Well, I wanted it to be, but they already sent her the bill. <laughs> well, so long, Jackson. I gotta beat it home. So long, Phil. I hope Alice likes the car. Hey, Mr. Benny, we're still waiting for oh, you. Oh, boys, come on over here. I want you to meet somebody. Hey, boys, this is Phil Harris. Hello, Mr. Hello, Mr. Harris. Hi, you fellas. Say, Mr. Harris, you're married to Alice Faye, aren't you? Yes, sir. She sure is beautiful. Mm, yes, sir. Say, Mr. Harris. Yeah? If you ever get tired of her, let me know. <laughs> oh, Joey. Joey, how can you say a thing like that? Yeah, Joey, me and Alice are a happy married couple. We got two beautiful little daughters. Well, if you ever get tired of them, let us know. <laughs> fellas. Hiya, gang. Oh, hello, Terry. Well, who's this boy? Oh, he's a new kid that moved into the neighborhood. Terry, this is Mr. Jack Benny and Mr. Phil Harris. Hi. Hello, hello Terry. Terry. You know, Terry, Mr. Benny was all-American fullback when he played football for Yale. <laughs> Yale? And Terry, during the war, he once shot down 46 Jap Zero planes in one day. <laughs> Gee whiz. Hey, Jackson, did you fight... And Mr. Benny was the first man to swim the English Channel. <laughs> oh, I... I was lucky. The tide was with me. <laughs> Say, Mr. Benny, tell Terry about the time you beat Notre Dame in the Rose Bowl. Oh, <laughs> it was nothing, really. You see, there were ten seconds left to play in the game. We were behind seven to six. I got the ball behind our own goal line and started down the sideline. I twisted, squirmed, stiffed on my arm, my arm way down the field. Then I saw standing between me and the goal, Notre Dame's famous five horsemen. Realizing... Mr. Benny, don't you mean the four horsemen? Uh, five. They were making it tough for me. <laughs> Realizing that they might be hard to get through, I stopped and dropped, kicked a field goal from the 50-yard line, which won the game for us nine to seven. The shoe I wore that day is now in the Smithsonian Institute. What an honor. Well, fellas, you go back and warm up a little, and I'll join you soon, huh? Okay, let's go, gang. Hey, Jackson. (laughs) 
What? Come here. Huh? You dog, you. Well, Phil, I was just... Look up in the air. Is it a bird? Is it a bullet? Is it a plane? No, it's Super Benny. <laughs> There's no harm in my... Oh, never mind. See you later. So long, Phil. So long, Lou Jack. <laughs> Lou Jack? Who's he? <laughs> he must be the drummer in Phil's band. <laughs> All right, boys. Up on your feet. Show a little pep. Now, let's get the game started. Yeah, let's go. Come on. Now, let's see. Joey's on my side. We'll play the three of you. Stevie, you kick off and we'll receive. Okay. Here goes. I got it, Mr. Benny. I got it. Attaboy, I'll run interference for you. Keep behind me, Joey. Keep behind me. Keep behind me. I'm ten feet ahead of you. <laughs> oh, well then... Whoop, tough luck. They got you, Joey. Okay, it's our ball. First down, ten yards to go. Now, let's go in the huddle, Joey. Yes, sir. Now, look, you be center, pass me the ball, and I'll take it around left end. Okay, let's go. Signals. 38. 38. Thirty-eight. Hey! Here I come, kids. Around left end. Better not get in my way or I'm liable to... Ooh. Gee, Stevie. You sure tackled him hard. His eyes are closed. Yeah, and you knocked his helmet off. Hey, I never saw a helmet like this before. It's got a part in the middle. <laughs> Ooh. Hey, boys, boys, what happened to the boys? Mr. Benny was running with the ball and Stevie tackled him. He must have hit his head. What do we do? What do we do? Oh, just let him lay there a second. He'll come around all right. Oh, no, no, waiter. Give me the check. <laughs> this, this party's on me. Let's get him in the house, boys. It's worse than I thought. <laughs> come on, boys, give me a hand. Lay him right down here on the bed, boys. Okay. Well, fellas, I think we better get going. Gee, I sure hope Mr. Benny will be all right. Yeah, he's a swell guy. Don't worry, boys. I'll go down the hall with you. I want to get him a cold towel. Oh. Oh, what happened? Where am I? Huh? Oh, I'm in my bed. Wait a minute. Who's, who's this in bed with me? Mr. Benny, please pay me my 50 cents. <laughs> oh, it's you, Professor. Good night. Good night. Ladies and gentlemen, here is a final message from our government. As cold weather nears, the food situation in Western Europe grows steadily worse. Widespread crop failures in that area of Europe bring its people closer and closer to actual starvation. In order to protect our own freedom, prosperity, and peace, all Americans are urged to back the President's food conservation program. Remember, save wheat, save meat, save the peace. Thank you.
Jack will be back in just a moment. But first, quality of product is essential to continuing success. And Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. L-S-M-F-T. Yes, Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And fine tobacco is what counts in a cigarette. Remember what happens at the tobacco auctions? Year after year, independent tobacco experts can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Lucky Strike presents The Man Who Knows. Mr. Garland Tilly, veteran independent tobacco buyer of Durham, North Carolina, recently said... Season after season, I've seen tobacco bought by the makers of Lucky Strike. And believe you me, that tobacco's really ripe, smooth, and mild. I've smoked Lucky's myself for 17 years. So for your own real, deep-down smoking enjoyment, remember... L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And Lucky Strike is the ideal gift on every Christmas list. So say Merry Christmas 200 times with a carton of 200 Lucky Strike cigarettes in their beautiful holiday wrapping. And for the specials on your list, a special handsome gift box of 500 Lucky Strike cigarettes, each so round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. Billy's resident, star of stage, screen, radio, and the Rose Bowl. <laughs> oh, hello, Miss Livingston. Oh, he's in bed. No, it's not serious. He just sprained his ankle playing football. Huh? Yeah, I guess the phone will reach over his bed. Boss, it's Miss Livingston. Oh, hello, Mary. How are you? Well, I'm all right. It's just a little sprain. Are you going to be on the show next week? Good. Oh, I'll be all right. Thanks for calling. Goodbye. Boss, what are you whispering about? Shh, the professor's asleep. <laughs> Good night, Rochester. Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Well, from December 7th, 1947, the Jack Benny program, part of our special tribute to longtime radio show collector and preserver Ken Greenwald, who passed away at the age of 86 last Saturday. Um, Ken was really into science fiction and horror shows as well. He, kind of a dual personality. He liked his great comedy and he liked his great science fiction and horror, very similar to my own personal tastes. And um, his favorite science fiction program or horror program or whatever you want to call it because it did all different kinds of things was Quiet Please. We have featured, I think, one or two episodes of Quiet Please on this show before. The one I'm going to play for you today we have not played before, and it's very appropriate that we play it today as our tribute to Ken Greenwald. Um, back in the 1970s, when I first met Ken, he always was talking about the show Quiet Please. At that point in time, there were maybe 
a half a dozen or so episodes that were known to exist, and everything else was lost. Nobody knew where they were. Ken would make a particular point to me and anyone who would listen that while the episodes that existed were great, the one that he most remembers as a child uh, listening to the radio, and he wasn't exactly a child, he would have been about Well, he was born in 1935, and this is 1949, so he would have been about 14 years old when this particular episode was aired. But the one that he most remembered, uh, he just remembered that it was a show about the Northern Lights. You don't know what they are until you listen to this program, because this will give you a whole different perspective on what the Northern Lights actually are. And so Ken used to always sit around and tell people that the... Northern Lights uh, that you would see in books and pictures and whatever were not exactly what they were made out to be. And he did say what they were. I'm not going to reveal it to you now. You're going to hear it within the show. But he would always make a point of repeating a particular phrase that's used in this show, which I'm also not going to tell you right away, but you will hear it later. And we all looked at him like curious, like, Really? They did a radio show? And they came up with that as what the Northern Lights were? And we didn't know. We thought he was joking, because he always joked around about a lot of things. But we always thought he was joking when he said what what this particular Quiet Please show said actually made up the Northern Lights. So some years later, when the program was finally discovered, along with some others, uh, and Now there's a a decent quality copy of it out there. Not fabulous, but decent enough that we can feature it on this show. We listened to it and we went, oh, he was right. Even though he was 14 years old. Wow, this is weird. So anyway, it's a weird program. It's an interesting program. And we are going to let you hear it now uh, in tribute to Ken. This is Quiet, Please, from January 30th, 1949. The Northern Lights. Quiet, please. Quiet, please. American Broadcasting Company presents Quiet, Please, which is written and directed by Willis Cooper and which features Ernest Chappell. Quiet, Please, for today is called Northern Lights. This is a story about the temporal displacement of mass. It is also a story about teleportation. Do you know what those terms mean? No, I didn't think you did, but you stay right where you are, my charming friend, and you're quite likely to find out. You just stay right there and listen. I'll tell you everything you want to know. And maybe... Well, maybe a couple of things you're not terribly anxious to know. Ever see the Northern Lights? Aurora Borealis is their right name. You don't see them very often below the 50th parallel of latitude in this country, but up in northern Minnesota, in Canada, upper New York, places like that... They're quite common of a winter night. If you've seen them, you know what they look like. If you haven't, there's no use by trying to describe them. 
Sometimes they fill a whole northern sky with waves of color, like a fire burning way beyond the horizon. Sometimes they're just long streamers of fire filling up the whole sky. And another time they look like gigantic, fringed curtains of pure light, swaying as if some cold cosmic breeze plucked at them, way far off there to the north. And you can hear them too sometimes. Well, maybe not exactly hear them, but, but there's a sound, a humming, a, a crackling somewhere inside your head. And there are times when you'd swear it's a voice talking to you. Talking in some kind of strange language you can almost understand. Filling your whole being with a kind of desperate, inescapable terror. You know what I mean? At night, in the cold night, voices talking and saying things to you that you can almost understand. Filling the night sky with signs and portents of, of inescapable terror. And nobody, nobody in the whole world knows what they are, nobody in this world at least, except me. And after I get done talking to you, you'll know too. And you won't be happy. Let me show you something now. This is from a recording I made on... Uh, Let's see, December 13th, 1948, a little more than a month and a half ago. I started the recorder while Norman and I were just about finished with our work that afternoon here in the laboratory. I just set the microphone on top of the file cabinet there and turned on the machine. Listen, I'm going to play it back for you. The quality isn't so very good, but you can recognize my voice and, and Norman's, I think. Here. Well, I got the call. We won now, I guess. Ready to test it? How can I test it when I say I just got to rewind? Well, hurry up. It's almost six o'clock. Yeah. Well, it's dark, but I didn't realize the time. Hurry up. I'm hurrying. Um, be a display tonight, you suppose? How do I know? Been a display the last three nights. Well, that was a dinger last night, wasn't it? Yeah, the machine wasn't ready. Hey, listen, now, do you think you can do better than I can? Ouch! What's the matter? Oh, I stuck my finger. Where'd you... Where'd you put the copper sulfate? Um, oh, uh, up above the sink. Huh? Uh, I got it. What are you doing? Testing the coil. How is it? Oh, it looks okay. Hey, wait a minute. Yeah, it's okay. I'll be right with you. Uh, hook it up. What are you going to send? You try my cigarette lighter. It won't work anyway. I'll, I won't miss it if we don't get it back. I don't know how the thing will work when the northern lights aren't shining. Well, maybe they are shining. Turn off the room light. Let's see. All right. It's pretty early, I hear. Yeah. What's the matter? Hey, look. Ooh. Out early tonight. Oh, boy, that's fine. The whole sky. Look. Blue and yellow. See, I, I never saw those long fringes. Before. They were the same. Oh, thank you. Turn on the recorder? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's turning over. Let's see. <clears throat> now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of their party. Now leave it alone. Uh, you about ready now? It's funny about the Aurora. Northern Lights? Listen to this What's part funny? closely, friend. Oh, I don't know. Remember what I told you. You can almost hear the darn things. Uh, not hear them, I mean, but it's, uh, 
It's kind of like somebody talking to you in a language you can you can almost understand. I don't know. I mean, you ever notice it? Sure. High frequencies, I guess. Something. Awful lot we don't understand. Look, uh, you go over there at the recorder and talk into the mic. Talk what? Well, just describe what happens for the record. I know I'm not, sir. I know you're not, but just say what you see so we'll have an accurate record. Okay. Now? Go ahead. <clears throat> this is an experiment in the temporal displacement of a solid object. Uh, in other words, the first actual demonstration of a time machine. If it works. It'll work all right. Go on. Paul is now placing his old beat-up cigarette lighter on the stage of the hypercucambulator, and he is now setting the microchronometer to determine how far into the future he's going to send the lighter. Well, how far, Paul? Uh, ten seconds. Ten seconds. Uh, at, at the end of that time, if our calculations are correct, and we hope they are, the cigarette lighter will reappear. In that period of time, it will have been into the future. Uh, we could send it farther into the future if we wanted to, I guess, but we'd just have to wait that much longer for time to catch up with it and make it reappear. But 10 seconds, well, I mean, uh, we can prove our point by sending it 10 seconds into the future just as well as 10 years ahead, and this way we don't have to wait so long. Hey, how am I doing, Paul? I go into your commercial. When Paul presses the little button, the cigarette lighter will turn to nothing. And <laughs> <laughs> that's not right. It'll be here, but it'll be ten now, seconds. Listen away. closely, please. Yeah. Well, now what's uh, going to happen? Mr. Paul McGilligot, a famous mad scientist, is about to press the big old button and send his lighter into the future. You ready, Paul? Here we go. Stand by. By golly, it is gone. It just disappeared. Bang, like that. Hold your watch up close to the mic, Paul. So it'll record. Yeah. Um, the, the, the written sign of the lighter. Uh, the little stage on which Paul placed it is empty, and it should uh, appear again in, in just a second if it really did work. Three, two, one. It's back! It's back, Norm! It worked! We made it! Oh, man, let's, let's see if it's all right. Ouch! Oh, now what? Oh, the lighter. Oh, it's cold, Paul. Ooh, here, here, here. Take it, take it, Paul. Take it. What's well, freezing cold? <laughs> what do you know? The darn thing's like a piece of ice. Now, where the dickens do you suppose it's been in that ten seconds? No, wait, friend. No, it, That's it not right. the payoff yet. You said, only in the future. Listen. And time's caught up with it. It's, it's back, but... Hey, Paul, look. Where did that come from? What? There on the stage where the lighter was. Where'd that come from? In the middle of winter. where the cigarette lighter went. What? what are you talking about? Well, feel it, Paul. Feel its fur. See? It's as cold as ice, too. A caterpillar. A little brown and black caterpillar, the kind they call woolly bears. You know, larva of the tiger moth, the Icea Isabella. In the dead of winter and as cold as ice. Where did it come from? Huh? You want to know. 
Incidentally, you know, the old-timers say that the woolly bear caterpillar is a weather prophet. If the brown bands on his fur are narrow, there's a severe winter ahead. If they're wide, it's going to be a mild winter. Yeah, maybe. This one, you could hardly see the brown bands. Tough weather ahead, that's what the old-timers would say. But where'd she come from? She wasn't there when we put the cigarette lighter on the stage. When time caught up again, there she was. She? Sure, Isabella. I see her, Isabella. I told you, remember? Well, she was wiggling happily when she arrived from somewhere in the future. But as she warmed up, she seemed to go into a trance, almost a, a death-like trance. So Norman said, put her in the deep freeze. Maybe she'll come to again in the cold. So we put her in the deep freeze. And in half an hour, when we looked in at her, she was wiggling happily. At ten degrees below zero, Fred. Now, can you tie that? My goodness, she should have been frozen solid. Well, nothing special happened for a couple of days. Not you remember, it was a month and a half ago, December 13th, 1948. Where were you on the night of December 18th? A Saturday night, a week before Christmas. I'd been Christmas shopping in the afternoon, I remember. I came back to the laboratory to check up on some stuff. And Norman was there, fiddling with things. Hi, Norm, I said. How's Isabella? You know something funny, Paul? What's the matter with you? Who, me? You look so pale. You sick? Eat something disagreed with you? Paul, Isabella's singing. Singing what? Isabella's singing. <laughs> You're dotty. She's singing. The caterpillar's singing. Not tap dancing, I hope. I'm not kidding you. Oh, cut it out. Open the deep freeze and listen. You've been at the C2H50H? I haven't had a drink since Thursday night. Well, now, what? Open you... the deep freeze and listen. No kidding? No kidding. Well, we, we don't know where she came from. I won't be surprised at anything. Hello, Isabella. Hey, don't do that. What's the matter? Afraid she'll answer me back? Well, I don't know what. <laughs> Hello, Isabella. <laughs> I hear you singing. I told you. Paul. I don't hear anything. Now, listen, Paul. I haven't lost my buttons. I've been hearing it all afternoon. I couldn't figure out what was doing it, and then I noticed it was louder alongside the deep freeze here. So I opened it up and stuck my head inside, and it was coming from her. Yeah. yeah. What does it sound like, Norm? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like, uh... A-E-I... A-E-I? Didn't she say A-E-I-O-U and sometimes W-Y? Now, don't rib me. I tell you, I heard it. <laughs> I think you better take a Christmas vacation, Norm. I'm not no, nuts. I know, kid, I know, but listen. We've been playing around with some pretty deep cosmic secrets, you and me. We've managed temporal displacement, which nobody in the world has ever done, see... Maybe we both need a rest. You know what I think, Paul? What? I think we've managed teleportation, too. And we don't know it. Teleportation? You mean like Charles Ford talks about? I mean transporting tangible objects from one place to another without any mechanical means. Electronically? I don't know, Paul. All I know is that that cigarette lighter was someplace where it was awful cold. And it wasn't cold here in this room. Well. And where did that caterpillar come from? I don't know. It came from wherever that cigarette lighter went, Paul. But where? I don't know. Somewhere. And you know what? I'm going to find out where it came from. You are? 
And how, may I ask you? I'm going to modify this gadget of ours, this hypercucambulator, so that it'll carry a man. And then, my dear boss, I'm going to sit down in it and have you send me out there somewhere in time and space and come back and tell you all about it. That's all for tonight, bud. What? Come on, I'll take you out and buy you a drink. I'm not fooling, Paul. Okay, okay, you're not fooling, Norm. Get your hat and coat and come on. <laughs> I prescribe hot buttered rum. Well... Turn off the lights. Will you listen to me for Turn a minute? Turn off the lights. I want hot buttered rum. Okay, okay. Gosh, look out of that window. The northern light. Oh, they're really bright tonight. They sure are. Look how they pump. Up, down. Up, down. Norm. Up, on. Look at the deep freeze there in the dark. What about? You see it? Light, Paul. Light. It's a... It... I see it, Norm. It's right in step with the northern lights. And the same colors. Red, red. Blue, blue. Up, down. Up, Coming from the deep freeze where our little friend Isabella was singing to you. Now, what do you... Paul, listen. I don't... Listen. repeating A-E-I-O-U, the vowel sounds of our speech, and watching the light that pulsed up from the deep freeze in perfect rhythm with the flickering of the northern lights we watched through the window. And we thought long, long thoughts that I, I don't remember any too clearly now. I do know we both of us thought of ways to perfect our little mechanism, our time machine. Our machine that brought back a little cold brown and black caterpillar from... Somewhere. And when it was morning, and the lights had faded from the northern skies, we found that our machine was very different. The stage where we found the caterpillar was larger now. I had only a vague recollection of what had happened in the night. I said to Norm, Norman, I said, what did we do last night? I don't know for sure, Paul. Could we rebuild that thing? Make it larger? I don't know. I... It seems... Well, I mean, I think I dreamed I was working on it. I think I hit my finger with a hammer. Well, I see. Hmm. Thumb's all bruised. Certainly looks it. Well, nobody could have gotten in here. The door's locked. The machine's certainly different. This coil, I think. Look. It's rewound it. Did I do that? My head hurts. Mine too. Oh, I don't get it. I don't either. I wish I could. Listen, Norm. What? Maybe we did change it. But I... Well, how could we have done all that by ourselves? I've got an idea. What? Why, maybe... Isabella helped us. The caterpillar? Oh, Let's you're... see, shall we? Open the deep freeze. Well, I opened it. It was empty. 
There wasn't any brown and black caterpillar in the deep freeze. We took a flashlight and looked over every inch of it. We stood there and looked at each other for a whole minute. Foreman said, well, I just shook my head. We went over and sat down. All of a sudden, I said, I found her, Norman. And there she was. There was little Isabella, the caterpillar, crumpled up stone dead on the floor of the laboratory. And you know, caterpillars have little tiny paws. And one of Isabella's paws was the end of a long piece of wire that ran up to the generator coil. Well, how did she get out? And I said the thing couldn't be opened from the inside. I said it was fastened down tight when I took the lid off just now. But she did get out. Maybe. Maybe she did help us, Norm, I said. And he just sat there and stared at me. And I got up and put on my overcoat. Where are you going? Where are you going, Paul? I said, I'm going to find out something, Norman. Where I'm going, it's cold, I said. I know that, and I'm going to find out what's been going on and where that caterpillar came from. Norm goggled at me. I stepped on the stage of the machine it was to take me away somewhere in time and space. I said, Norm, turn it on. say a word, and I braced myself. I nodded at him. Go ahead, I said. And he pressed the switch. And nothing happened at all. Nothing. Why? I know, Paul, I know. It's daylight, and there aren't any northern lights. was just as well. I had a chance to think about it a little, and I realized that just an overcoat wouldn't do me any good where I might be going. And so when it was dark night again and the northern lights were flickering and dancing in the sky, I put on a high-altitude aviator suit that had its own source of heat supply. Norman shook his head as I got back on the stage, nodded for him to press the switch. how dark it can get. Then I was standing on an immense plain that stretched so far, so far into the distance, the plain of snow and eternal ice. A dead, cold, white world with the blackest sky above me. And the northern lights reached from horizon to horizon. Even through the high-altitude suit, I could feel a biting cold. And I was afraid, shivering, abjectly afraid. The streamers of the northern lights reached down toward me and wrapped about me. I heard the sound of voices screaming into my mind. I, I could understand them. I wished heartily I'd never played around with cosmic forces. I yelled inside the heavy helmet. I yelled, Norman! Norman, bring me back! And there was nobody to hear me. No, I don't know where I was. Another planet? Maybe the North Pole? Maybe the lights were all around me. Maybe that's where it was, but... It was the most terrible, awful, cold, lonely place you could imagine in a hundred years. The lights, the flickering, 
Living lights crawled over me and beat at me. I could almost understand what they were saying. And then... The crash. The sudden blackness. I was standing again in the laboratory. I'd left only a few short seconds ago, and Norman was tearing at the fastenings of my suit and beating at me with both hands. I wondered what in the world he was doing until I got the helmet off. He was brushing caterpillars off me. Thousands of cold, freezing cold, brown and black Isabella caterpillars. I was in bed for a week or more. I don't know how long. Wherever it was I'd been, I'd nearly frozen to death in those short seconds. And at last, I was able to come back to the laboratory. I sat there that night with Norman. And outside the windows, the northern lights were brighter than they'd ever been before. Purple, green, yellow, black lights even. And there was a new rhythm tonight. A kind of code. Almost words. Thoughts. Not quite formed and yet curiously disturbing. Norman, though, didn't seem to be as disturbed as I was. He just sat quietly and looked at me. Where did those caterpillars come from, Paul? I don't know. Where I was, that's all I know. Did you... Did they attack you? Or... I don't know. They came from the lights. The lights? The northern lights. Where are they, Norman? The caterpillars? Yes. Where are they? In the deep freeze, where Isabella was. Poor Isabella. What's the matter with you, Paul? I'm listening. Listening to what? Well, don't you hear them? I don't hear anything. Don't you? I don't hear anything. Well, listen. Listen, I don't hear anything. Turn on the recording machine. I want to see if we could pick up their voices. There isn't anything. Turn it Paul. on. Turn it on. I want a recording. Quick. Quick, Norman. They're talking to us. Listen, friend. I want to play you another recording. This is what came out of our tape recorder that night when I was listening to the voices. And Norman couldn't hear anything. Just listen. I still don't hear anything, Paul. Be still, listen. I tell you, listen. I... Listen. What's that? Look at the deep freeze. The top's coming open. Look at the light around it, Paul. Be quiet. Watch. How did they... Good Lord, look. The caterpillars are coming out, Paul. Look at them. There's millions of them. Be still, Norman. But, 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 Paul, you, your voice. Be still, I said. What's the matter with your voice? We want to talk to you. You what? You, you said we. Why, of course, Norman. We. Who for the... It is Paul's voice, Norman. Paul's voice. Voice. But it is not Paul speaking. Listen. We speak to you. Paul! Not Paul. We, the people of the lights. We from the cold. We are speaking to you with Paul's voice. I tell you that... Paul's voice will tell you what to do when the time comes, Norman. We go to the machine now. Paul's mind is ours for a little time now. 
We go to the machine, the machine that brought us to your world from the world of the lights. Who are you? Who? The people of the lights to take over this world of yours. Only this world of yours is so hot, we must have the cold world, and we know how to make it cold. What's the matter, Paul? Paul! So, so hot. No, no. Quick, Norman, turn on the machine. Send us to places in your world. No, our world. Hurry. So hot. Hurry, so hot. Paul. Hurry, hurry. Turn on the machine. <laughs> the end of the recording. No, I don't know. I don't have any recollection of it at all. But the recording's there, isn't it? That must be what happened. Anyway, when I woke up, Norman was gone, and there were no caterpillars in the place here. And our machine, our machine that took people and things away into time and space, was wrecked. I don't know what became of it. You heard what they said about my voice. They're going to take over this world and make it a cold world, like the one they came from. Whatever that is, and wherever they went. No, I don't know where they went, where the machine sent them. I do have ideas. Yes. Are you cold? It's freezing in here. And just for example, uh, you read the papers? Look at the newsreels. Did you see the pictures of the snow in Los Angeles? In subtropical Los Angeles, where it hasn't snowed for so many, many years? I wondered about it, too. I wonder if anybody saw any brown and black woolly bear caterpillars in Los Angeles. Larva of the tiger moth I see, Isabella. Northern Lights. It was written and directed by Willis Cooper. The man who spoke to you was Ernest Chappell. And my laboratory assistant, Norman, was played by Dan Sutter. The voices of Isabella and her friends was that of Cecil Roy. As usual, music for Quiet Please is played by Albert Berman. Now for a word about next week. Our writer-director, my good friend, Willis Cooper. Thank you for listening to Quiet, Please. For next week, I have a story for you that comes from the steel mills out South Chicago way. It's called Tap the Heat, Bogdan. <laughs> and so, until next week at this same time, I am quietly yours, Ernest Chappell. Now, a listening reminder. How are your predictions of things to come? What's your batting average? Compare your average with the man who has made predicting his business. Listen to Drew Pearson tonight on ABC. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.
WJZ, New York's first station, AM and FM. Stand by now for inside news and startling predictions by Drew Pearson, one of the most famous reporters in America. See the amazing new Ben Russ endurable watch, stronger, really shock-resisting. Well, there you go. Quiet, please, the northern lights. Um, and, of course, the famous phrase that Ken Greenwald used to say when we were sitting around at lunch or dinner, he would just start singing out of nowhere, A-E-I-O-U, and we all looked at him like he was nuts, but he wasn't nuts. That's what the Northern Lights were made of, little worms, little caterpillars, at least according to um, Willis Cooper and uh, Quiet, Please. So um, that's our uh, tribute to my old friend Ken Greenwald on the good old days of radio show for this week. We will be back on Tuesday with more comedy, drama, or variety, and we will resume our top 10 monsters uh, next Thursday. So in the meantime, thanks for listening. Thanks for all your support. Spread the word to your friends and family and everybody else to listen to this show. We seem to be growing by leaps and bounds every time I look at the numbers, or they tell me what the numbers are anyway. They seem to be good, and that's great because we want more and more people to enjoy these great shows. So until next time, uh, thanks for listening. This is John Tefteller, and uh, thanks to Ken Greenwald for everything over the years. You were a great friend. Goodbye. Goodbye.